Welcome to the Cowie Baptist Church podcast. To learn more about Cowie, including in our gathering times, visit us online at cowie.church. Enjoy the message. Man, good morning, church. Uh, as uh, has been echoed already this morning, super grateful for uh, just an incredible army of VBS volunteers uh, this week, uh, those that served in so many ways and so faithfully uh, this past week to allow us to share the good news of the gospel with many uh, young people. We had uh, the privilege of being able to, uh, to meet with lots of, of children individually and also uh, in uh, group settings where we were able to uh, just connect and encourage them along the way. Appreciate Miss Kelly and just great job that she did leading uh, all of us uh, in this direction and just a uh, thankful for a great church, thankful for uh, just the blessing of being part of such a great uh, faith family. If you're a guest with us today, we're so grateful uh, for you being here. We'd love to connect uh, with you uh, along the way. Uh, if you uh, so desire to, to do that, that we might be able to tell you a little bit more about uh, who we are and how you can connect along the way, you can text uh, the word guest uh, to 828 477 4037. Uh, you'll also find a, a welcome table uh, as you leave. And we'd love just to get a little information from you. We'd, we'd love to send you a gift and just uh, be an encouragement uh, along the way. But again, grateful for your presence here uh, this morning. Uh, we are in the midst of a series called Prepare the Way. And we've been looking uh, at the, the Word of God uh, through uh, the book of Esther, Nehemiah, Ezra. Uh, we've been looking at, at this um, this desire that I hear so many people have uh, in, our, in our midst where there's a longing for uh, a sense of revival. We uh, looked at Esther and said, you know, there's some of us that have been placed uh, divinely in uh, certain places that we might be there for such a time as this. Uh, last week, we looked at Nehemiah and how God used this cupbearer uh, to the king in an incredible way to go uh, back in uh, to his homeland and to uh, lead a rebuilding of the walls. The, the scripture says that he uh, went in and he saw the condition. He had heard from his brother just the, uh, the way that uh, the city was. He'd heard of the devastation. He had heard of the destruction. Uh, he, he goes there and he surveys the city and he looks around and he says, you know what, we see the condition of our city. The walls lie in ruin. And then he cast this vision that folks might lock arms and rebuild. And in 52 days, the walls are built. There's just this incredible unity uh, around the work that God had for them. And today, we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 8. And we're going to see how not only these walls were rebuilt, but how God begins to rebuild the people through the word of God. And I'm convinced that if we're to see a, a revival in our midst, if we're to see a revival in our land, that it will be through the word of God, a revival around the word. Uh, many of us have heard a story. A Navy captain was sailing and came up on a big light and he thought it was a ship coming toward him. Uh, and in that moment, he was the highest ranking officer in the U.S. Navy. And so he got on his big bullhorn and said to the ship behind the light, uh, hey, listen, move 10 degrees south or we're going to crash. It said, I shall not move. You move 10 degrees north so you don't crash. 
Now, the captain was getting irritated, and he said, don't you know who I am? I'm a captain in the United States Navy. So I say, you move 10 degrees south so we don't crash. The voice came back, I shall not move. You move 10 degrees north so that you don't crash. The captain got back on the speaker and said, do you hear me? Did you hear me? I am the captain in the United States Navy. And the voice came back and said, yes, I heard you, but I am the lighthouse. And this morning, I want to encourage you that we have a, a, a lighthouse, that we have an authority in the midst of this broken world, and that the Word of God must be the authority for the life of every disciple who is following Jesus Christ. We, we see in Nehemiah 8 this incredible revival that takes place among the people of God due to the reading of the word of God. And the, the walls and the gates of Jerusalem, they were built with stone and wood, but uh, the people of God will be rebuilt, will be rebuilt through the word of God. Now, if, if it's true that for us to see revival, that we must see a renewed passion around the word of God, and we, we probably would agree in that direction, we must look at the reality that in our culture, things are going the other way. For the last decade or so, the American Bible Society releases what they call the state of the Bible, and every year they, uh, they release uh, this uh, this picture and this survey that talks about Bible engagement in our country, and it uh, just came out uh, this month in 2022, and here's a summary of some of the things they saw. They said this, first, we noticed an unprecedented drop in the percentage of Bible users in the United States. In every study since 2018, Bible users have accounted for between 47 and 49 percent of American adults. However, the 2022 data shows a 10% decrease from the same time in 2021. That means nearly 26 million Americans reduced or stopped their interaction with Scripture this past year. Now, I want you to see just kind of the tragedy of some of this. The, the, the definition of someone that is engaging or someone that is, is a Bible user in their survey was someone who used the Bible outside of a church service three or four times in a year. So this is not a lofty uh, goal here. This is very small, but, but even at that number, scripture, scripture engagement is also significantly down. If you'd like to look at the, uh, the studies on that, you can Google that and get uh, kind of a, a study on that. But uh, they measure scripture engagement as this consistent interaction with the Bible that affects how uh, we relate with God, how we relate with ourselves, and how we relate uh, with one another. And, and when people are, are engaged in scripture, then they would say that, that the Bible impacts how they relate in all those ways. And what they say, uh, according to the survey, is just really a significant downward uh, spiral there. In, in a word, the current state of the Bible is under-engaged. Perhaps the Bible has been neglected or simply taken for granted as people dealt with the challenges of reassembling their lives after a disruptive pandemic. A significant number of people say they never seem to have enough time to read the Bible. 
Now, it's interesting. We saw this kind of surge in maybe Bible reading or at least this consistency for a couple of years. And then now all of a sudden there's kind of been this spiral down in folks that are engaging with the scripture. And could it be that, that we ran after what we missed so much that we uh, let the things that matter most uh, be impacted, that, that we did that at the expense of the things that make the most difference. It also breaks down the study by generations, and what it reveals is that the younger folks get, that there's a, an, an elderly group that maybe has still a bit of a high value uh, of Scripture, but that with each generation, Americans trust less and less in the accuracy and the authority of the Bible. And when we hear those kind of things, it's it's heartbreaking and it's tragic as we look at our culture and we wonder why our city and why our culture is in ruins. And it's, no, uh, it's not hard for us to see when we hear those kind of things. We read of, of a people in Nehemiah 8 and maybe they would have said the same things. Maybe during uh, this time of exile, the word of God had been neglected. Uh, they'd been uh, away from home uh, in this time of rebuilding as they've been working so diligently uh, to rebuild these walls that the word of God had been neglected. And what we see in Nehemiah 8 is this unified moment where they come together in desire of, of the word of God. They come together uh, in a way uh, that, uh, that expresses their, uh, their desire uh, for God's word. And I want to ask you to do something. We're going to read Nehemiah 8, verse 1 through 12. But I want to ask you if you're able uh, just to stand with me as we read uh, the word of God, that we might stand in honor of the infallible, inerrant word of God. In Nehemiah chapter 8, beginning in verse 1, the scripture says this, and all the people gathered as one man at the square which was in front of the water gate. And they asked Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. Then Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and all who could listen with understanding. On the first day of the seventh month, he read from it before the square which was in front of the water gate from early morning till midday. In the presence of men and women, those who could understand, and all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood at a wooden podium which they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah. And on his right hand, on his right hand, and Padiah, Mishael, Malchijah, Hashem, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshulam on his left hand. Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, the people stood. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands. Then they bowed low and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Achab, Shabbatiah, Hodiah, Maasiah, Kalida, Azariah, Josephin, Hanan, Peliah, the Levites, they explained the law to the people while the people remained in their place. They read from the book from the law of God, translating to give sense so that they understood the reading. Then Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, this day is holy 
to the Lord your God, do not mourn or weep. For all the people were weeping when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, go eat of the fat, drink of the sweet, and send portions to him who has nothing prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, be still, for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. All the people went away to to drink, to send portions, and to celebrate a great festival, because they understood the words which had been made known to them. You may be seated. You know, as we read this passage and as we think about what is taking place in these moments, the the scripture says that the people gather as one man. And scholars would say that this isn't just a handful of people, that this might be 40 or 50,000 people that gather in these moments. And the scripture says that they gather in unity, right? That they gather as one man uh, with this desire, right? And they ask Ezra, bring the book, right? What does it look like for a people of God? And when we gather as the people of God, we gather in church, right? The desire should be that the book might be brought and that we might open the word of God and that our heart might be not uh, to be entertained by the things of this world, but that we might come together and that we might open the word of God, that we might expound on the word of God, that, that we might explain and lean into the word of God. And this is the desire of the people, right? They gather as one man and they say, bring the book. Now there's uh, a man named Ezra that they asked to come. And in the scripture, uh, we see that he was priest and scribe. And so they invite him to come. And in Ezra seven, we see that this man had set his heart, right? To study the word of God, that he had set his heart to practice the word of God and that he had set his heart to teach the word of God. This was who he was. And he, they say, bring the book. They, 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 the people, they had this renewed relish for the word of God. They had this renewed desire for the word of God. You know, I loved this week just being able to hang out with some of our young people and uh, sharing uh, just from God's word with them, some that would have, you know, questions about what it meant to follow Christ. And we would uh, just take them on a journey and talk about what the word of God uh, says about a relationship with Jesus. And uh, there was this one little girl that I was talking to and she was very smart, had uh, just lots of of great answers about uh, how the Lord had, had provided salvation and when you know what Jesus had done and so we were talking and I said wow you are really smart I said where did you learn all that and she looked at me like I had four eyes and she said I have a bible (laughs) and I I love that thought you know I I thought and that really should be our answer for everything and so many of us we we lack a, a desire for the word of God. I heard the story of uh, a little guy who uh, picked up the Bible from his house and he said, dad, is this really, um, is this really God's book? And his dad said, yeah, of, of course it is, son. And he said, well, we better give it back to him. He said, we're not really using it for anything anyway. And I'm afraid so many times, maybe that's how the word of God is treated in our homes, that we need a renewed desire, a renewed relish for the word of God. Verse two, the scripture says that Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men and women, all and all who could listen with understanding on the first day, first day of the seventh month. 
that they gathered and, and there was a, a gathering of people, all those who were old enough to understand, maybe some of the smaller kids were in Kingdom Kids, but, but there was a sense of these families coming uh, together and that they were, were gathering together understanding the word of God, all who could hear, all who could understand. And the scripture says that they read from early morning till midday. Like they read six hours and the people were attentive to the word of God, that they didn't wear out, that they didn't get weary in the midst, that they were so grateful to hear the word of God. When uh, verse five says that when Ezra uh, began to read from the book, when he opened the book, now now notice they didn't stand when Ezra got up because there was nothing special about this man, but when he opened opened the book and began uh, to declare the word of God that the people just naturally stood in honor and reverence to the word of God. These people not only had a renewed desire for the word of God, but they had a renewed reverence for the word of God. They stood in honor and reverence. And when they did, as they heard the word of God, there was something that took place and there was a renewed worship in their hearts for for, for the God who had given them the word, right? They didn't worship the word, but they worshiped God who had given them his word. Verse six, Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God and all the people, right? They responded. They said, amen and amen. The scripture says that they, that they lifted uh, up their hands, right? And they bowed low, that there was a response to the greatness of God. Uh, there was a response that they had to the word of God. Verse seven and eight tells us that the Levites then would divide them in these smaller groups, right? So there's this picture of the word of God is being proclaimed. And maybe in these pauses that were there, that there were these Levites that would take groups of them, right? And they would further expound and further teach the word of God that they would share with them because what we see in this passage is it wasn't only the reading of the word of God but it was the teaching of the word of God and them understanding the word of God that was important right and I think about what we do as we gather in small groups I think about what we do as we gather in Sunday school classes and as we gather in d groups right we see uh, this kind of model even reflected in this passage where not only are we called to gather and worship corporately, right? That we gather and we worship together, but that we grow in community in smaller groups of believers. I want to encourage you, if you haven't connected in a smaller group of believers that are, that are growing together in the word of God, that you are missing an incredible blessing in those moments, right? In verse nine, Nehemiah, who was the governor and Ezra priest and scribe and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep for all the people were weeping when they heard the words of the law. Now I want you to think about what's going on in these moments, right? They are hearing the word of God. And, and what happens when we hear the word of God, what happens often in, in my time alone with the Lord is I read the word of God. There's a sense of conviction as I see places in the word of God that I'm not measuring up. There's a sense of conviction. And as they're hearing the law of God, they are, they are being uh, reminded in these moments, right, of how far they've missed it and how they have disobeyed the law of God. And there's a weeping that's going on as they see God's standard for them and how far that they have missed it. They see this kind of moment where there is weeping that is going on. They had this renewed repentance as they heard the word 
of God, right? But there's something beautiful in this passage and something beautiful that applies to our life, right? When we see the word of God, we have this renewed repentance. We have this place where we start with weeping and we start with sorrow, where we are convicted of our sin. But as we see the word of God and as we understand the word of God, we encounter the grace of God. And here in these moments, he says, listen, there's, there's a time for mourning and there's a time for weeping, but I want you to know you are back home and the joy of the Lord is your strength. God is rejoicing in these moments, right? We, we look in Luke 15 and we see uh, the, these, these pictures of the lost coin and the lost sheep. And we see this picture of rejoicing, that, that our God rejoices when, when a sinner comes to repentance, that there's rejoicing in those moments, right? And when we experience the grace of God and the mercy of God, then there's a rejoicing that happens as a result, right? There should be sorrow. There should be weeping as we are convicted of our sin, as we see how disobedient we have been to our great God. But in verse 10, he says, listen, do not be grieved for the, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. There was renewed repentance, but there was also renewed rejoicing in response to the word of God. So the Levites calmed all the people, verse 11, and said, be still for the day is holy. Do not be grieved, and all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions and to celebrate a great festival, because they understood the words which had been made known to them. You know, this passage is very simple. But if we take the truths that we see in this passage and we apply them to our lives, everything changes. There's nothing that will impact our lives in a greater way than a renewed commitment to the word of God, than a renewed commitment to the discipline of engaging and studying the word of God. There's nothing that will impact our lives than, than as we, as the people of God, have a renewed uh, just reverence to the word of God. And we see in this passage some truths, right? And the first thing we see is that God's word is worthy of our reverence. God's word is worthy of our reverence. In the New Testament, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, the scripture says that all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness so that the man of God might be adequate, equipped for every good work. Can I remind you this morning as the people of God that all scripture is inspired by God, that every single word is inspired by God. Some people ask me, do you believe that this book is the infallible, inherent word of God? Absolutely, 100%, I do. In Matthew 5, Jesus said, hey, there's not gonna be one jot, which would be the, 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 the yod in Hebrew, the very smallest letter of the Hebrew alphabet. He said, there's not gonna be one jot or one tittle, one little mark that is on uh, these, these Hebrew vowels. He said, listen, there's not any of that. Not one of those things is going to pass away. He said, there's not, there's not any of that. He said, every word, every letter, every piece of this is going to be fulfilled. The Bible is true. And if the Bible is true, then we should cherish it. We should study it. I mean, we, we should hold on to this like a treasure in our lives, that, that we would cherish it, that we would study it, that we would obey it, that we would trust in the scriptures, th that we would recognize that this book is the final authority for everything in our life, that it is the final authority for all matters of faith, for, for morality, for practice, for everything in our lives, that we would recognize and, and respond to the word of God as the authority in our life, 
right? We see the authenticity of the word of God. When, when we look at the word of God and just the treasure that we have put together uh, in this book, the, the, the original documents that we read uh, of the New Testament, they were written in the first century. The gospels and the epistles, they were written uh, basically in a, a time 30 to 60 years from when these events happened. They were written in the time uh, by witnesses, really in the time of other eyewitnesses. When we look at other documents, when we look at other things in this world, the, the writings of Buddha were written 500 years after he died. When we think about uh, Homer's Odyssey, written 2,200 years after Homer died, and, and we look at these documents and they're trusted documents. Lee Strobel in The Case for Christ points out the earliest biographies of Alexander the Great were written more than 400 years after Alexander's death in 323 BC. Yet historians consider them to be generally trustworthy. The gospels were written 30 to 60 years after the life of Jesus. And, and we see the incredible gift of accuracy in that, right? The internal evidence of this book is incredible. We see that it is made up uh, of 66 books written uh, over three different continents in three different languages, written over a period of over 1,500 years by more than 40 authors. And they come together, and I hope as we've been walking through the scriptures this year that we see that they tell a unified story of the redemption plan of God, that they tell a unified story of God's goodness. And, and the Bible gives us, right, his main character as God himself revealed to us and made known to us through the person of his son, Jesus Christ. The Bible speaks in detail of historical uh, events that these are verified by extra biblical writing. We, we don't have to check our brain at the door uh, to believe the Bible is true. The men who wrote the New Testament, they had come face to face with the risen Christ and they believed it so much that they were willing to die for the truth therein, right? They had seen Jesus and he had changed their lives. The numbers of prophecies that we have, and we've been looking at some of those as we've been walking through the scriptures this year, they pinpoint the coming of Jesus Christ as the Messiah. As we started out at the very beginning of this year in Genesis 3.15, we said that there's this reality that immediately after the fall, that there's this promise of a redeemer that's made. The scripture says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the hill, right? Christ is the seed of a woman. Others are the seed of a man, but there is only one that was virgin born, only one that was born the seed of a woman. The Old Testament prophesied that it would be from the seed of Abraham in Genesis 12, in Genesis 22, that he would be from the tribe of Judah, Genesis 49, 10. And so we saw uh, the elimination of 11 of the 12 tribes. This past week in VBS, we looked at David uh, as this earthly king, but we are reminded that from the family of Jesse and in the lineage of David in 2 Samuel 7, that the Messiah would come. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, the pinpointing of his place of birth, the scripture says that he would be born in Bethlehem. Uh, Isaiah 7, 14 says that he would be born of a virgin. Isaiah 35 says that he would open the eyes of the blind, that he would unstop the ears of the deaf, that he would cause the lame to walk. Psalm 118, that he would be rejected by his own people. The, 
that the scriptures foretold in Daniel chapter 9, the precise time in history when he would die. Psalm 22, Isaiah 53, Zechariah 12, they would tell us of the way that he would die. They would tell us that he would die by crucifixion. And this method of crucifixion was not put in place until 800 years later. The scripture would tell us that he would rise from the grave. And more than 300 prophecies in the Old Testament all were fulfilled in Christ. As we have found the Dead Sea Scrolls, the, the, the revealing of those and the discovery at Qumran, they confirmed uh, without a doubt that these prophecies were written before uh, the birth of Christ, that these were predated to that. We look around this room and there are many of us that would testify not only of the prophecies that we see true, but of the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ to transform lives, to change us from the inside out, right? To be people who used to be addicts and who used to be all of these things, right? But have been transformed by the word of God. And we come testifying of the greatness of our God. Spurgeon said, listen, you don't have to defend the Bible. He said, the word of God is like a lion and you don't have to defend a line. All you have to do is let the line loose and the line will defend itself. We have a trustworthy book. We have a, a, a book that has been given to us to reveal, God has chosen to reveal himself to us through the scriptures. We stand on the word of God and the authority of the word of God and it is worthy of our reverence. It is worthy also of our reflection. It is worthy of our time. It is worthy of the time that we would spend. We, we read in Nehemiah eight twelve that they all went away, right? And then they went away to eat, drink, and to celebrate this great festival because they understood the words that had been made known to them. It is worthy of our study. It is worthy of our time. It is worthy of our gathering. It is worthy of our meditation, right? That, that these words, as God told Joshua, he said, be strong and courageous. And he said, these words, they shall be on your heart and you shall meditate on them day and night. And we live in a culture where we are meditating on everything but the word of God. We've been given this gift and we take it for granted, right? We think about our lives and our lives are so busy. Our lives can be filled up with so many things, all this busyness that's going on, all the, the opportunities to, to have all these devices, right? And, and if you look, I would challenge you just to look at the screen time functions on some of your devices and see how many hours of just mindless scrolling that we may spend on social media. I want you to think about the amount of time that we might spend watching television, that we might be on a Netflix binge, that we might do all these things and all that at the neglect of this treasure of the word of God. And if we're spending more time, like, like I understand we have to prioritize our life and we have to think about, hey, we've got all these things going on. We've got to work. We've got, you know, time with family. We've got these things that are going on. But if we're spending more time on social media or more time, you know, if, if the news networks are impacting our life more than the word of God, then there's no way that we can look at the word of God and the commands of God and, and not see that we have some things out of place in our lives. Because when God's word is believed and taught, 
there's transformation that takes place among the people of God. Lost people are brought under conviction by the word of God and we see people born again into the family of God. The scripture says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, that, that we ought to be a people who memorize the word of God, who meditate on the word of God, who share the word of God, who live the word of God, whose lives are transformed week in, week out as we are nourished by the truth of the word of God and that we might be a church that's unified around the word of God. Psalm 119, 165 says, those who love your law have great peace and nothing causes them to stumble. We need a revival around the word of God in our lives. If we're gonna see God move in our midst, if we're gonna see God work in the midst of our families, if we're gonna see a revival among our communities and among our land, it will be, it will be in a place where the word of God is revered, where the word of God is treasured in the lives of his people. So what do we do? How do we respond individually in the midst of a moment like this. And I want to challenge you that we respond like Ezra. In Ezra chapter 7 and verse 10, we see that Ezra was prepared for this moment. And, and I believe God wants to prepare us for this moment. Every one of us, not just one or two of us in this room, but Ezra was prepared for this moment. The Bible says in verse 10 that Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it and to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. There's three things that Ezra did. He, he set his heart to study the word of God. The second thing, to practice the word of God. Not just knowing the word, not just reading the word, but actually doing the word, right? Obeying the word. And third, that he taught the word of God. He studied the word of God. He practiced the word of God and he taught the word of God. And that's who we are to be. John Maxwell said that a leader is one who knows the way, goes the way and shows the way. That's what Maxwell said. But what I'm reminded is that Ezra got this a long time before John Maxwell because he studied the word of God, right? And he knew the way. And the only way that we know the way, how does a young man keep his way pure? How does a young man, how does an old man, by the way, can you can have the same thing? The scripture says by taking heed according to your word. Your word. That's what the psalmist said. He said, your word I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. How do we know the way? There's only one way. The scripture says that, by the way, the things that are out there uh, and that might seem right into a man. The scripture says there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is death, right? The only way that we know the way is if we open the word of God, if we read the word of God, if we're in community with other believers so that we can glean from one another and understand the word of God. We study the word of God. We know the way. And then once we know the way, this world is in desperate need of some people that will go the way, right? Of some people that will read the word of God and will take what it says, right? If you'll get up in the morning, you'll open the word of God and, and you'll pray and say, God, I pray that you'll speak to my heart, that you'll convict me of sin, that you'll allow me to know that the places that I need to change, it's a prayer that God will answer every time. And as I open the word of God and I read the word of God, the spirit of God convicts my heart. It, it, it allows me to see those places that I'm erring from the word of God. 
And in that, the response is, when I read the Word of God and it's different than my life is, is walking in, right? Then I recognize, God, you're right and I'm wrong. And I turn from my ways and I turn to His ways, right? It's a, a continued life of repentance in response to the Word of God. But there's something beautiful in that, that when we walk in the ways of the Lord, we can experience the joy of the Lord. And so we see uh, the, the conviction of our way versus God's way. And once we experience experience that and we see that, we see how God responds to the repentant heart of his people, right? And there's joy in that. And and we are to be a people who not only know the way, but a people who go the way. But then it goes a little bit further. And what we see in Ezra is that he was teaching the way of God, that he didn't just know, but he also obeyed. And then he taught others to do the same thing. And by the way, as followers of Jesus Christ, that is our marching orders. That is what Jesus has left us to do, that we might go into all the world and that we might make disciples. So if you want to know what we are to be doing, we are to be making disciples who in turn will make disciples. That's the that's the way that God has designed it. And, and in that, uh, you know, it's interesting. Clark uh, read from Hebrews 6, right? We have a great high priest, right? We are not uh, a, a group of, of uh, uh, we're not a people with a priest that's giving them uh, the word, right? We have a great high priest and we are a priesthood of believers all with access to the very throne room of heaven, all who, who can open the word of God and, and through the spirit of God can understand the word of God and teach the word of God. Paul, the apostle Paul said it this way. He said, here's what I want you to do, young Timothy. He said, you therefore, my son, in verse uh, chapter two, verse one and two, he said, be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. He said, this is what you need to do. He said, these things which you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. He said, know the way, go the way, and then show the way. And here's the thing, there are people in this room, you need to be engaged in discipling other believers and here's the reality. This isn't an option. This isn't, this isn't like something that, that God has given us. And if you just feel like, you know, maybe that's what, what I need to do. Th- this is not what it is. It's a command of God. And as we read that, listen, we don't have to, we don't have to know everything to disciple our families. Uh, we, you know, we, we just have to be one step ahead of them, right? I mean, I mean, literally, like we open the Word of God that morning and we teach the Word of God that, that evening. We, we learn something and we teach something. We, we learn the commands of God and we apply those to our life and then we teach them. We don't have to have it all figured out. And, and somehow, we feel like if we don't have to fig- have it all figured out, that we're paralyzed and we don't do anything. But there's something beautiful when we come together around the Word of God and we learn from one another and we we grow in one another. And we, we have a responsibility to share and teach the word of God. It's simple. We, we know the way and we go the way. We obey what it says and then we show the way. And God's calling every one of us into that kind, uh, uh, that kind of, of obedience to him. And so I want to encourage you to take a step to do something different this week. Maybe you, like Ezra, can just set your heart on knowing the Word of God, on obeying the Word of God, 
on teaching the Word of God. That you might say, you know what, I recognize that this is given to me as a treasure and I've neglected it. The dust that is on our Bibles, I've heard, is going, I've heard people say, is going to be a testimony uh, against us in one day. Just, just the reality that we have been given this treasure and we take it so lightly. You know, one day Jesus is going to come back for his church. And until that day, we need to be found obedient. I read a story of a father and his two children who were swimming off the coast of New Jersey. And the story goes that the little boy was eight and the little girl was 10 and they were all good swimmers. But they got out there and the tide began to carry him away. And the father uh, knew that Uh, He was going to need to help them, but he couldn't get them both in at once. And so the father, uh, who was the strongest swimmer and the boy who was weaker of the two, uh, he grabbed the little boy and he took him back to shore with him. And he said to the little girl, he said, now, honey, he said, you're a good swimmer. He said, you're a great swimmer. And he said, you could float on your back all day long if you tried. You can float on your back if you'll just try. So whatever you do, don't get frightened. Just lie on your back. And he said, I'm going to take him in. And I promise you when I get there, I'm going to come back for you. I'm going to get help and we're going to come back for you. Don't forget your father is coming back for you. So he swam the little eight-year-old boy to the shore. And then he told the people all along uh, the, 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 the shore. And before you knew it, the so many people were out looking for uh, this, this little girl. The Atlantic was covered with boats and swimmers. And four long hours later, they found this little 10-year-old girl out miles from the shore floating on her back. And someone said, sweetie, were you afraid? And she said, no. My father told me I could float all day long on my back. And he said he would come for me. And she said, I'm just doing what he told me until he comes back. Church, we need to be a people that are doing what he told us until he comes back. Following Jesus is not near as complicated as sometimes we try to make it. If we'll open the word of God, if we'll gather in community with other believers around the word of God and we'll embrace this call to make disciples, first of all, to be a disciple, to engage, to grow I believe with all my heart, God will do a work among us that will change everything.